0: Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, sign up for a free trial of audible.com and explore not only the audiobooks, but the other content uh, they have as well. Over the years, the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast has gained recognition as a great resource for small business owners, sales professionals, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and that's because of the guests. Uh, These are folks who have expertise in particular areas of business, and they join me for a conversation where they share that expertise with all of you. Today is no different. My guest today is Benjamin Markovitz. Ben is a champion for growth, a leadership expert, and the founder and CEO of the RISE Institute which advances the understanding that human beings can grow and develop beyond their estimations and that expecting radical growth from those who struggle can and should be the norm. Using his expertise in consulting work, background in education, and boots on the ground research on human behavior, Ben helps leaders accelerate their work and generate breakthrough performance in their employees. He believes the world will be transformed if people understand and recognize the possibilities for growth within everyone. I just love that. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ben.
2: Thank you for having me, Diane. It's great to be here.
0: Absolutely. So I I am curious if you would um, share with the listeners some of the things that you learned when you were working in education that have actually transferred over to business?
2: Yeah, thank, thank you for, for that opportunity. I, um, I think it's just a really important thing when you're teaching kids in a school to feel that you are their leader. And the distinction of being a leader of kids in a school is that you take full responsibility for their performance. And so when, uh, as is often the case, kids do not grow as fast as you want, there's never any doubt that that responsibility is yours. Mm -hmm. And um, as I moved into uh, being a leader of teachers, I recognized that that was just as important uh, a relationship to have between me and them as their adult leader. And uh, as I discovered uh, branching out into other fields, that that was a mindset that was, uh, I think, unfortunately not, uh, not common. So the uh, approach to folks who don't perform well in the typical organization is to assume that that's their responsibility, not their leader's responsibility. And that's okay if you can move them out and replace them rather quickly. Uh, But I do think there are missed opportunities for growth that I actually think many effective teachers know that many effective leaders of adults don't.
0: That's really interesting. So, so, gosh, that sounds to me like, um, it it, is it part of what teachers are taught, you know, as far as how to manage a classroom and how to get the most out of kids and that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, I think it's the the good teachers know this, whether they're talking or not. Um, If you have teachers who are actually measuring their results, looking to improve the learning in their classroom, if you look across those who really do an exceptional job, they all share this one characteristic of how they culturally build their classroom. And this is something that I think most leaders should pay attention to if they're looking to create a really accelerated business model. Um, and it's something that uh, I've, you know, over time nicknamed the growth cycle, uh, which is a developmental idea, very common in effective classrooms, less common uh, among leaders of, uh, of bigger organizations um, that uh, anybody can really use to help everybody do a better job. Um, and particularly those who we think uh, just can't improve. And, and it holds that, underperformers typically need their identities elevated before their performance improves. So uh, thinking about from a student perspective, uh, if you are uh, a child who gets Ds, uh, you often think you're a D student. Mm -hmm. And we usually respond to that by saying, well, here's what you need to do to get an A, Sometimes that, that works, but I think rarely because usually that student is in a vicious cycle. I get D's and therefore I'm a D student. I keep getting D's and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the growth cycle asks us to change that statement to, I get D's, but I'm actually an A student, which creates more curiosity and, and motivation and confidence and, and planning. So the vicious cycle can actually become a virtuous one When we as leaders make that happen, you know, when a teacher says, you're an A student, we both know that, let's see how we can start showing that here and then noting incremental progress. And so the idea that growth doesn't just rely on improving performance, it relies on our excitement to improve, which we see most often as an identity responding to our performance. I do well in sales and therefore I think of myself as a strong salesperson. And probably because of that, I set a high bar for myself and continue to improve my sales. And the way we lead tends to assume that's the way it works. We perform well. So then our identity as a performer drives us to improve even more. And that makes sense. But uh, the easiest growth happens that way. And the growth that is really hard, the growth that you see uh, your underperformers need to make in order to actually show up well at work, uh, actually works in reverse, where we try to improve that identity before we even expect impor- uh, the, the ability or the performance to improve.
0: Well, you uh, so I love this concept, and you sure are right that it's not happening <laughs> in businesses, because as you were talking, I was thinking about this concept that I've I just heard repeatedly that um, like in a sales department, the sales manager is better off um, focusing like on their B players to get them up to a players and and, f- and spending time with a players so that they remain a players than even worrying about the C players but th- this this flies in the face of that
2: Yeah and if that's an approach you want to take you know I, I see it as uh, you know successful enough for most folks that they can get by. I think two problems with it one is that, Well, you're certainly missing an opportunity for pretty dramatic uh, performance improvement, even among Mm -hmm. your B players, Um, but also, uh, you know, we see the times changing on this and and turnover rising, you know, steadily upwards of 20% over the past five years across all sectors. Um, I have been called a millennial in the past. I think I might be a few years beyond that, but I see it as a huge trend that many folks uh, in the workforce feel entitled to leave their jobs if they're not growing. Um, And of course, uh, avoiding turnover and growing your own people better, uh, huge cost savings, big competitive advantage. And really it, it helps you people proof the roles in your organization. And then of course, you know, if you have a reputation for, for really strong people development, mm-hmm. you can become a, a magnet for some of the best talent when best place to work prizes, et cetera. Um, so I think, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's an organization I worked with uh, fairly recently who was uh, contemplating a pretty large uh, reduction in force needed to actually, as many folks have. And uh, mm-hmm. the, the one thing they had to pause over was where to draw the line, right? Where, where to actually cut off those who are staying and those, uh, those who are not. And what I asked them to do is break it down to behaviors. So they were to say, the folks we'll be laying off are folks who haven't gone above and beyond uh, in, their, uh, you know, in their daily work, uh, beyond their job descriptions to help make this company a success. Uh, they're perfectly great, but we'd rather keep those who are going above and beyond. And I said, well, you know, let's say some examples of what going above and beyond means. And they did. And they actually sent out a newsletter before they uh, executed this reduction. And the behaviors of going above and beyond were so clarifying for people, that they actually ended up having a much harder time making these cuts because everybody stepped up to this new identity <laughs> of folks who are going above and beyond, which is just another thing a great teacher does in the classroom is discover... You know, the, the most uh, effective kids in the classroom are, say, doing their homework every day or raising their hands and asking questions, no matter how nervous they are. And when they call that out to the entire classroom, the kids who are actually least likely to do that start doing it because they want to belong. And when the leader norms the group as having that identity, the sense of belonging depends on living up to those behaviors. And that's when you really start to see performance improvement that you never expected. Boy, yeah,
0: it's so great. I mean, leadership is so, um, I think misunderstood to a great degree in business. And these are such great examples of, um, for me of, of setting the expectation and then having consequences and openly sharing what they are and then working with people to help them get to that place where they are meeting or exceeding those expectations.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly familiar psychological experience I think for many of us, right? If you imagine uh, how much harder you work on that report when everyone reading it knows you to be a great writer already, or um, maybe a time you, mistakenly overheard someone saying you were terrific at something you thought you were pretty bad at, right? And that actually changed your entire approach to that thing. So um, this idea that identity improvement can precede performance improvement really relies on how first the leader sets expectations for you, right? So if you've got the old way of thinking, you probably remember learning to read and, and that memory is probably a little bit like I read a little bit. I did okay, I was proud of that. So I kept reading and therefore my performance continued. I I had a good identity, I was proud of myself and I just kept repeating that. But if you were learning to read and struggling, that maybe meant you had an identity as a bad reader. Hmm. And that has a negative effect, actually lowering expectations, creating a, a pretty terrible downward spiral. So when leaders assume this is the only approach to development, we tend to have strong folks getting stronger and weaker folks on their way out. And this new way of seeing it is just looking at how development can be just as strong for those who who don't perform well. And something that I think of as kind of a more radical growth. And and most radical growth happens with the reverse of this. So, you know, there are struggling salespeople everywhere. Every time they try, they feel terrible and their identity is bruised by that. And they, they set expectations lower for themselves. But there is probably a great salesperson somewhere right now, maybe even nearby, who, who started off as a, as a terrible one. And more than likely, a leader decided she could expect better from him, convinced him of something like, look, you're a great salesperson, you just need to start doing X, Y, and Z. And he strove to perform. He wanted to live up to what this leader believed he was. And so once he did, his expectations for himself grew and a virtuous cycle began. And and that's the kind of radical growth in underperformers that uh, we can really do, uh, we can base a fair amount of it in research, right? When we see a huge win from a struggling student or a a breakthrough in someone living with a physical disability or, you know, Olympic athletes who set new world records, right? That kind of radical growth, those leaps, um, they, they follow a pattern, right? This big elevation expectations, whether that comes from you or the leader, um, followed by this leap in identity and then a performance that somehow bursts through to, to live up to it.
0: So it's a real mindset shift for the leaders, right? That exactly. they have to, yeah. They, they have to look at things very differently.
2: Yeah. And it's almost can feel tactical until you realize how inspiring it is. I just thinking about, I had this moment with, um, I have three kids and my my two youngest are are boys uh Max is two and Ronan is five and Ronan is uh not gentle with Max he often just treats him like a a stuffed animal (laughs) Max can enjoy this for uh, a little bit but often gets really upset and you know we talk so much about um Ronan being gentler to Max and we will give him little lessons on it you know like when you want something from Max, how do you ask him for it? Don't just take it. And he typically doesn't do well with this. <laughs> you know, In the moment where he wants to grab something from Max, he will just take it. Um, and then, you know, one day my, my wife says to me before there is even any exchange between Ronan and Max, you know, Ben, Ronan has been so gentle to Max. He's really learning how to be a gentle brother. And then Ronan walks right up to Max, asks him nicely for the toy, Max gives it to him. <laughs> Somehow, right, when when our identity is that we are expected to be a certain way, we find it much easier to do that thing. Um, and I think translating this to a business context, so many kids who are under so many folks sorry, who are underperforming, uh, you know, the first reaction of their leaders is to be kind of disgusted with them and 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 turn their backs on them. And you know, that's a moment I know I've experienced. And again, First year teachers feel that all the time with kids, you know, it's their job to reverse that. And so the leader who understands they have that opportunity in front of them can actually get a whole lot of gains where a lot of folks aren't.
0: Okay, so I'm curious about the the employee who um, for so long has had such a negative opinion of their ability and whatever it is that they do that even with positive feedback they they struggle to move the needle so, so that feel so that feels like based on this conversation that the there's something different the leader could be doing right to help them yeah out, outside of you know just giving them positive affirmations so yeah what would that be
2: yeah so if I think about, um, you know, clients of mine who've had that experience and and it's universal, right? Uh, and and oh, often, oh. often the case that you've got one of those right now at all times, right? <laughs> There's somebody <laughs> like that. Um, and so it's fairly easy to have people talk about it. And almost always when they're talking about it, it becomes clear that there is a personal, again, a kind of personal distaste that comes across. Um, and so, If I say, tell me about your lowest performer right now, somebody will start describing how they're making mistakes and so on, but immediately a kind of anger or contempt comes into their tone. And that's when you can recognize something that you would always have to tell a teacher to put away, right? (laughs) You'd have to actually say this contempt, this emotional distance that you're creating, it's reasonable, right? This person is um, underperforming your expectations. It's reasonable. Um, But it does mean that you are probably creating this vicious cycle where Mm. that person believes not just that they're doing a bad job, but they believe that you don't think they will ever do a good job. Mm. And therefore, the entire incentive structure around your favor or your approval or finally getting to rise up to your level or meet your expectations seems completely impossible for that person. So you actually said something really important, which is no matter how much you sort of uh, compliment them or, or recognize them, I actually think that's a moment where a very specific type of recognition or compliment could play an enormous role. Um, so if I think about, um, let's say um, a, uh, a media streaming site that I was working with where the the boss had one of these folks and, uh, Certainly uh, felt like this person could never improve. And, uh, you know, when I said, let's find the one thing they're doing successfully all the time. uh, That person said, well, she always shows up to shoots on time. So whenever we're shooting at a site, she shows up on time and not everybody does that. I said, great, explain that to her and explain why that's important. So She does. She goes to her and says, you know, I just want to say to you, totally out of blue, by the way. Um, that you show up on time to all these shoots and it really helps us stay on schedule. It also allows me to tell other people who are farther behind that it's not impossible to show up on time. So thank you for giving me that. Hmm. And the relationship between these two individuals, as you might guess, completely transforms, right? Because this person who was struggling wasn't just struggling because they had skill deficits, they were struggling because they believed their boss never saw anything positive in them at all. Yet now that was just proved. Right now, it's oh, it is possible to win this person's approval. It is possible to do well at this job. This Mm -hmm. is a place that will tell me if I'm doing a good job. So let me try and do more of that. And it's not that that has a dramatic linear effect. You know, for the next six weeks, she improves, you know, doubles her performance every day, but it totally transforms the developmental relationship. So that person now goes to her boss for help. That boss is excited to tell her when she's doing well. And that's pretty much always a recipe for for growth.
0: Interesting. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have thousands of titles to (laughs) choose from, as well as podcasts, Audible Originals, Guided Meditations, and more. One of my favorite audiobooks is Everyone Deserves a Great Manager by Scott Miller. For me, I love being able to listen to it anywhere and across my devices without losing my place. And I think you will too. So visit audibletrial.com/businessgrowth to explore the variety of audiobooks and programs for yourself. So so it's that old catch people doing something good and tell them
2: yes with i think an additional part that says tell them how it affects yeah. the progress of the work yeah that feels um, huge because one you know just builds morale the other i think really builds a culture and that's what i think was successful about this company that had to do with its reduction in force is that it had not clarified what behaviors dramatically impacted their bottom line or their mission and as a result people when hearing it wanted to do those behaviors more and more often. Right. So uh, one of the most, you know, clarifying things is, is behavioral clarity. And of course, if you can form an identity around it, that's uh, transformative. And so we see, I think the most effective companies do this as a part of their overall cultural design, right? So if, let's say at your last job, everyone complained nonstop, and you got used to that. And, and the moment anything went wrong, you uh, shot an eye roll to a teammate <laughs> across the room from you and she shot it right back. Um, you leave that company, you join a new one and you're in your first meeting and the air conditioning shuts off. Uh, the, uh, the projector goes purple. Uh, the leader is late and you look for a new friend, right? Someone else in the room to shoot the eye roll (laughs) to, but suddenly you don't see one. Uh, Everyone seems to leap in to help. The the AC and the projector are fixed quickly. Uh, When the boss finally does arrive, one of your teammates politely tells them that, You know, she sure she had a good reason for being late, but the tardiness set the wrong tone for the meeting and particularly for this new person here. The leader (laughs) agrees, offers no excuses and promises to not let it happen again. And there's still no eye rolls. And you suddenly realize you'll have to be a very different person at this company than you were at your last company. And um, that identity shifts your behaviors. Um, So, uh, you know, we tend to think of moments like that as organic, um, but, I believe actually great leaders can ensure they happen and, and particularly so in the early days of uh, a, a new teammate's tenure or the beginning of a company. Um, you know, the one thing everyone thinks in the first couple of days at a new job is how do I fit in here? Uh, right. And, um, you know, I just think leaders need to answer that question more decisively and say, you know, be like our highest performers. You know, they have three behaviors that are extremely effective. Here's what they are. and uh, And build your new identity oh. around that. That's
0: really terrific. When you were talking about that, I was thinking, um, like when I do leadership training, I, this is one of the things that I talk about is that you have to give people the why. I call it the, your I-why, mm. that you know, I, I need X, Y, and Z, or I could use your help with A, B, and C, and here's why. like, What is the impact of that? What happens if we succeed? What happens if we don't? Because there's always an outcome one way or the other, and that people opt on when the ask is tethered to a reason. Right. Because it's not
2: arbitrary. That's right, that's right. And I think we we, we tend to uh, give people feedback um, with the goal of either correcting underperformance or um, something, uh, you know, cultural like changing commitment or changing um, happiness on the job and we end up using praise I think um, to make people feel good not necessarily feel connected to their why yeah. um, and so we hope in some abstract way that making them feel good will lead to better outcomes you know we say great job on that meeting or you're you're one of our best folks or I appreciate you um, and that that all feels good to hear but it turns out to be uh, you know, a waste of the praise, I think, because the real value of praise is not morale building. It's that praise can radically transform people's uh, performance and, and change their behaviors permanently. Um, and mm. I know for me early on, and uh, you, know, you may be seeing signs of this here on this podcast, but you know, I had an airtime problem <laughs> and uh, it was a real uh, obstacle for me at work. And I would, you know, uh, talk faster than my mind would uh, think, and I would, uh, you know, use a ton of time in meetings to say very little. And uh, then one day, by chance, I, I didn't. Right? I got right to the point. I spoke for less than ten seconds. <laughs> and the difference was, my 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 boss came up to me afterwards and said, you know, when you did that, uh, you got us to the end game much faster. And that's one of the reasons I wanted you in these meetings to begin with. And it. It was that shift from now I am the uh, endgame guy <laughs> as opposed to I'm the guy with the airtime problem that, of course, made me focus so much more on my airtime problem uh, because I now had this kind of positive signature that, right. uh, that my boss expected from me. And um, gosh, it took him less than 15 seconds to do that. So how do how do we build that into our managerial lives, so to speak?
0: Okay, wait, I have a question for you. Did had he ever talked to you about your airtime problem before that? Oh,
2: constantly. (laughs) Right, and it was what most of us do, like criticism. You know, Uh, yeah, made me aware of the problem. and, and indeed, he even made me aware of some solutions, right? So I, was, I remember working on like, you know, thinking through in my head before I had something to say and, you know, just leading with the final point rather than kind of explaining my thoughts leading up to it. All that stuff, I had practiced it. Um, I just didn't get excited about doing it or instinctively gravitate towards it in social situations yet. But that feeling like I had to live up to what this group expected of me uh, completely removed those obstacles. I was completely engaged in this new identity. And, you know, that's a huge part of how we feel whole and successful in our lives. And, uh, you know, bosses uh, don't often presume it and, and could benefit a lot from, from working with it and planning it out. Wow,
0: that is such a great example. Oh. Thanks so much for sharing that. I mean, that is a great example. I love that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So what um, is the new performance paradigm? Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, is this, you know, is this what we've been talking about? I'm really curious yeah. about, it and, you know, how it helps employees succeed.
2: Yeah. So I think it's... Uh, ingesting this growth cycle as your primary understanding is your primary fuel for talent development so that mm. you as a leader um, approach uh, hiring, onboarding, and coaching as well as if you're a founder approaching your organizational design with the notion that expectations around behaviors are yours to own and that The more specific you are about those expectations, the more people will build identities around them, the more you don't need to micromanage for them. So uh, if there were a quick way to execute this paradigm next week, I would probably say to somebody, name the repeatable behavior patterns common to your best performers. So whether that's they find solutions rather than complaining or they, they jump into any problem, even if it's not in their job description and find a way to make those public, find a way to just post them, simply say, I listened to a podcast and I heard about this activity and I decided to do it. And here's what I came up with. Um, and then set aside about 20 minutes a week. It doesn't need to be much to look across everyone you manage ask yourself if any of them showed signs of these behaviors this week. And if someone did, write them a 30 second email telling them about when and how that impacted the work. Uh, I send these emails sometimes only with typing in the subject line, right? It's that fast. Um, And then, and this step is, is really crucial, turn the microscope on your most challenged performers and do the same. And even if that's a smaller increment of behavior, a smaller experience, having that person understand that you noticed it means that they're gonna be thinking about it and means that they're gonna be focusing on the right behaviors when they're obsessing, no doubt they already are (laughs) over how they're struggling. They can instead obsess over these repeatable behaviors that can actually change them. And I believe you will see pretty extraordinary growth as a result. And, and then, when that starts to excite you, right, there are bigger swings you can take um, that accelerate results, like redesigning your culture around those behaviors, uh, redesigning your hiring process around those behaviors. Um, and that ultimately, I think, won't just raise performance, it'll make your team extremely attractive to newcomers and extremely fulfilling for the long term.
0: That, yeah, see now that, that's something, uh, um, it's like a bonus, right? That the way you get more great performers is by having a culture that great performers want to be a part of. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And wow. when it's
2: transparent, what that culture is and what high performers here do. Yeah. then you start to see more of that happen. And, and you know, what gets recognized gets repeated. And for, you know, somebody who knows how, highly you think of them, they're not about to lose that status anytime soon. Right. So the, the real question is, for those who assume you don't think highly of them, how do you get them to imagine that very soon they could? Um, right. And, uh, and what do I have to do to get there is a reasonable question. And so answer it, right? Tell them what the high performers are doing and really break it down to the repeatable behavioral level, things that everybody can do. Because no doubt <laughs> your frustration at the end of the day when you're telling your partner or your consultant about your most struggling performer says, why can't they just do this simple thing? And the odds (laughs) are is that you have not explained it simply. You have not let them believe that they can and that you'll notice when they do. And as soon as you prove all those things wrong, you will probably see an upward trajectory
0: that's so funny so so they can right right they, mm-hmm. they have to know why and that you are paying attention and that it matters and they matter
2: right and and that's that's just a lesson learned from uh working in schools and particularly yeah. you know we ran schools that were working with kids who are extraordinarily far behind they would come into ninth grade uh sometimes on a third grade level uh and Catching them up to get ready for college in four years was the, the approach we wanted to take. And so, you know, you throw a million things at the wall when you're trying to make that happen. Yeah. And you certainly never, ever say, well, you know, let's just terminate the ones who aren't doing as well or uh, <laughs> put them into a kind of lower quartile category where they're just going to sit there for a while until they leave. Um, and, you know, I say that because that is something that can happen in schools, um, but we were dead set on not doing that. And when we um, actually started delivering on those results, we started to see that certainly people grow far more than we expect and predict, and that the ways in which you can help that along are, are easier than, than we think. And so um, hmm. building cultures that uh, teach kids that they have the identity of those who grow you know, we started norming that. So, uh, you know, when we start uh, a new class of ninth graders, we, uh, we know we have to get uh, the equivalent of three years of schooling into one. And, you know, in a few years, Mm. college spots with some of the most elite schools in the city, uh, despite being at the lowest end of the socioeconomic spectrum. And, uh, you know, doing that is saying, here, you're joining this place that expects you to be great by setting foot on this campus, you have decided to be the hardest working kid in the city. And nonstop, we are recognizing what they are doing to live up to that. So really, we'll have teachers from week one walking around with clipboards, writing down every positive behavior they see from every kid. And communicating them to families, to the kids directly. Sometimes they'll switch clipboards with each other, so somebody can say, "This person told me you did a great job raising your hand," and suddenly you, as a you know, collective of hundred to two hundred ninth graders, start saying, "Oh wow, I'm successful in this school in a way that I've never been before. Wow. I guess I this cup." And you know, while there's certainly moments where we don't succeed, every single child in that. The ability to troubleshoot with that in mind, let's start the virtuous cycle somewhere, uh, is always step one. And we found that to be relatively successful. And again, when you need to make that kind of growth, as we did with our students, you start seeing opportunities that other leaders haven't used.
0: Yeah, boy, it's very inspiring.
2: Yeah, it's it's powerful. I think, you know, for me, the, I don't know that I would have, you know, I have, a story as a parent that led to all of this. And that's just, you know, when my wife and I had our first daughter, um, uh, Zoe, about eight years ago, she had a brain injury and doctors told us that she wouldn't develop at all, 0% yeah. chance of development. And that experience, of course, devastating over the next couple of weeks, there was a doctor who just happened to say, know, um, yeah, I wouldn't put it at 0%, I'd maybe put it at 10%. And, uh, you know, that was, of course, a really big moment for us as parents. And the moment for me as an educator, though, was later when I realized, oh, yeah, what I did as a parent there was hear 10% and think 100. (laughs) There's, you know, if if it's my kid, and certainly if I have resources like I do, many of our families that we serve don't, um, I'm going to do everything that's possible, everything I can think of to maximize that 10% and turn it into 100. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's how school should be, right? That's what a parent <laughs> should think is happening when they send their kid to school. These folks are going to assume regardless of evidence that uh, my child can grow and learn. And uh, you know that is not an approach <laughs> that we take to everybody we hire, yeah. despite the fact that we have a better chance of doing it because we got to select them ourselves. Um, And so uh, I actually think that uh, the most effective leaders are taking full advantage of that opportunity, uh, even building it into their selection process and then approaching it like the best teachers of of the most disadvantaged kids do um, and communicating those behavioral uh, progression points and also building that culture that sets expectations high before kids even have shown any evidence of which way they'll go. And, uh, and sure. fundamentally, it's because they see themselves as in control of the weather. They, they know that they can start a virtuous cycle anytime they want, just like any one of us can end an argument that's going negatively. <laughs> any one of <laughs> us can uh, take a lazy day and turn it into a productive one. We just typically don't. Um, and so I think that's hard to do, but it also is worth recognizing that we can. And that um, there are some hacks and tools along the way that can help us do it more easily.
0: Really terrific. I mean, it's just really, it makes so much sense. And, uh, and the examples are, are tremendous. It, it really is um, how the leader chooses to uh, see things and engage with their students, their kids, their, workers, you know, their employees, everything,
2: yeah. it feels like, wow. Yeah, and that's, that's why creating the Rise Institute made sense to me because what it turned out was uh, to be an, you know, a universal concept, right? That this is something that I you know, have thought leaders should use but it's just as valuable in my life as a parent Uh, It's certainly valuable for people leading adults, but also leading youth development projects. It can be more effective with folks who are much younger. So there's a lot of social service work to do in in the um, uh, youth development nonprofit sector with it. And so what I felt like we needed was an organization that didn't just use this as a fundamental strategy uh, or a talent tool, but used it as its driving force and its actual mission were um, uh, to be a um, a progenitor of this idea in multiple organizations. So um, our goal now is to kind of take some of the consulting at the corporate level that we do and um, use that uh, both to kind of pressure test a lot of ideas in high stakes environments um, but also generate revenue and uh, create uh, a brand that we can um, help push this along in the social sector, uh, where it's often hard to advance ideas like these. Um, and uh, you know, combining those together has been a, a long, uh, a long dream of mine, and, and I'm excited to get started on it.
0: Boy, no kidding. So, speaking of which, how do people find you?
2: Yeah, uh, I am at benmarkovitz.com, and that's Markovitz with a C and a V. Um, and probably the, you know, initial way to engage is uh, you'll soon find a uh, little growth self, self-evaluation on there. Um, helps you see if you're already somebody kind of geared to lead this radical growth. And uh, it'll kind of give you a, a way to navigate uh, the rest of the resources there um, to help you, uh, you know, just start uh, implementing right away uh, in, the, in the coming days.
0: Terrific. Wow, Ben, thanks so much for joining me. I I cannot even begin to tell you how much I appreciate this conversation.
2: Well, it's been a real pleasure for me. Thanks, Diane.
0: Wonderful. And listeners, thank you that this one, boy, you know, such an incredibly great topic Uh, and inspiring. I I feel like really um, positive, (laughs) which, you know, (laughs) This year, it has been slightly challenging, so uh, this is just really great, and I'd also like to thank our sponsor. Head on over to audibletrial.com businessgrowth and sign up for your very own free trial of audible.com and check out all of the content that is there. As always, continue to prosper and be curious, and until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day.